0: Continuing off pretty much immediately after we left uh, with an episode by Mike Sussman, directed by LeVar Burton. It's gotta be weird. I don't know if they did any professional collaborations since then, but I know that on Trek, the last time they did anything like this would have been either during the movies, but he wasn't directing those. So with Burton directing, it would have been back in TNG. So, you know, over seven years ago at this point. It's gotta be weird. Archer... Uh, has already managed to go up the ladder, get to the thing. Had a thrill, but unfortunately he is still in a dream and has to be launched out into space. It's one of those interesting things to think about, isn't it? You're in a burning building. Do you jump? <laughs> if you jump, you will probably die. If you stay, you will definitely die. Pick. So he goes out. <sighs> Got him. And there's a nice little moment. There's a lot of... Quiet little character moments here, which are kind of neat. My personal favorite is the bit where, that I'm mentioning right now. Uh, Soong walks up and looks at Malik, who is in the captain's chair. Soong hesitates and is like basically standing there waiting for Malik to get out of the chair. Malik doesn't get out of the chair, and then Soong is like, doesn't say anything, just looks at him like, what are you doing? And Malik's like, oh, right, right. I suppose I should get out of the captain's chair. And then swings like, and then actually sits down in the captain's chair. <sighs> okay. I doubt Arch will be after us. Why? Well, because he's dead. Actually, he says it even more casually than I do. As if there's nothing unusual or bad or awful or anything about that. He's just dead. It's whatever. Well, I, I said no more killing, no more dying. Yeah, what's the problem? They were our enemy. It's okay. We did what we had to. Once again, we see how Sung is getting more and more bothered by all of this, and Malik just really does not give a damn. Credit. Too often fiction does this problem. I've talked about this many times on this show. Where someone is supposed to be uncaring, but they constantly re-emphasize how much they don't care. Pro tip: Someone who doesn't care doesn't feel the need to constantly reiterate that they don't care. Quite the contrary. If that's written well, it's usually indicative of just how much they do care. In this case, though, Malik is both written and acted quite well, and directed while we're on the subject. He really does come across as just being like, what? Yeah, I killed him, and let's go kill this colony. You're going to kill millions of people? Yeah, that way that will start a war. And and there's just there's nothing there. It doesn't register why Sung would be so wigged out by that. It's, well, I'm just killing millions of people. What's the issue here? (laughs) It's like saying... Yeah, I'm going to get the curly fries instead of the regular. And someone freaks out at you, and you're like, what? It's just curly fries. That's pretty much the level of completely blasé he comes across. And it is good. It does indicate just how much of a horrifically evil human being Malik really is. Soon, keeps trying to establish control as a parental figure. He even <laughs> threatens to send him into Time Out, the targ pen. That uh, doesn't work out super great. This then leads to his discussion. No, no, we're going to go to the Briar Patch. Ha ha, by the way. Star Trek 9 reference. But what's funny is if you look at the timelines, it's pretty clear uh, that the um, Baku would have already settled by now. But it's okay. Unlike some people, I understand that a planet is big, and so they would probably have no problem settling far, far away from them because planets are big. God, I don't want to remember Star Trek 9 again. That movie was so bad. Let's move on to the more interesting part. He brings up the Botany Bay. This isn't just a reference. Malik's idea is that the Botany Bay is something that could be sought out and contains our fellow augments We can make something of it. Now, we know that the Botany Bay wouldn't be found for some time, because duh. But what I find more interesting is that Sung shuts that idea down hard, in a way that makes you kind of tilt your head a little bit. Now, this is starting to cross a little bit into theory realm and a little bit of out-of-character knowledge in order to pull in here, but Khan Noonien Singh and Dr. and Soong were both named by the same person, Gene Roddenberry, based on the same person, someone that Roddenberry knew back from you know real life, back when he was in uh, the Air Force. And so... The point is that there is an unintentional, well, I'm saying that wrong, there is an intentional out-of-character connection between the two characters. It has been implied very passively that there might be an in-universe connection, made Mulder stronger by the fact that Sung here is obviously someone who is bothered by the fact of connecting with Khan, and is someone who is very involved with genetics while having a very similar name to him. Huh. Now, this could all just be the term, the, the realm of references, and obviously none of this was planned out. But that's okay. None of this was planned out. The overwhelming majority, like, like 99% of what we're seeing in Enterprise Season 4 is all backloaded storytelling. They've been handed all this crap, both from the early seasons of Enterprise and from the later stuff that they're trying to connect to, but primarily in TOS and TNG. Those are the two ones they aim for the most. And they're like, okay. And so they improv and they adapt based on what's already there. So based on the circumstances, I find myself wondering if there is an in-universe connection, an intended connection, between Khan and Soong. It would be interesting, especially since Soong himself is very anti-violent. Speaks of the wars as if they are a terrible thing and absolutely does not want to hurt or kill anyone. Quite the contrary. He wants to improve the species and make things better which might further explain why he thinks that way if his ancestor, who had the genetic knowledge and engineering and pushed for this whole thing, became one of the most tyrannical and horrific dictators of that particular era. Just food for thought. It'd be an interesting bit of backstory fleshing out. Granted, it pulls in a little bit of small world syndrome, but as I've talked about before... There's a bit of give and take when it comes to small world syndrome, if you want to have continuity within your work. And in this case, I think it's a significant enough connection to be worth accepting the small world concept there. If nothing else, it could be like a distant relative, or maybe Sung was actually named after him by someone who venerated Khan. And in either way, Sung was aware of Khan, became fascinated fascinated by the scientific side of things, and just disgusted by the morality side of things. So even if he's not an actual descendant, he could still have that character connection to Khan, trying to continue the work of the supermen, but this time, you know, doing it right. This also shows into contrast his discussions back with Flocks, and uh, I guess Archer back in the first episode. It's a tool that we need to use properly. Yeah. This gets into a very interesting concept. He is going to genetically engineer them to remove certain sequences that lead to aggression and violence. First point, he now has to once again justify himself and explain himself and argue for his case against someone else. That just seems to be his lot in life, doesn't it? In this case, he's saying it to one of his own children, one of the Augments. Trying to explain to them what perfecting the genome is like, and they're like, well no, we don't want to be perfected anymore. And all of a sudden the perspective is interesting, isn't it? Because picture, switch this around. He's working on a normal augment, and he's trying to justify it to a normal human. And the conversation would be almost identical. We don't need to be improved. What are you trying to do? You're trying to, to meddle with this. We just leave us the way it is. Who are you to say it's a defect? This itself is actually a fascinating and very in-depth topic that I do not have the... I'm going to go with the word knowledge in order to properly discuss. I have only a distant understanding of genetic defects. I myself actually am not exactly what I would call a super specimen, but I only have a few relatively minor issues. Difficulty breathing, the thing with my nose, uh, the fact that my heart doesn't work quite right. The leg is more of a byproduct of an accident, so that's not really a thing. You know, that's, that's about all I got other than my eyes, which barely qualifies. But I have met and interacted with quite a few people who have things that could be considered defects. And I say it that way because what I find fascinating is so many of them seem to have different perspectives on this. I actually brought this up all the way back in DS9's Melora. Remember that? And I actually got some really cool comments from a lot of people in that one. Um, now, obviously, I cannot put myself into other people's shoes like that. I can only use my imagination. But... Some people adhere to the, the mentality that they are not defective, that they are simply themselves, and therefore there's nothing wrong with what they are and how they are. And then there's some people who would absolutely choose to have those defects, and I put that in quote-unquote on purpose, fixed if the option was given. Ultimately, I, I tend to be, as I always am, on the side of choice. If if you have the choice and ability to choose, then frickin' do it, right? <laughs> that's That's my general take on that. But, of course, this is where this gets murky. An unborn embryo does not have a choice, does it? And it's pretty easy for this to get too far out of hand and get into Gattaga territory, which, by the way, is a film I highly recommend, if you haven't seen it. It starts off really slow. Give it a bit. Once it takes off, it takes off really well. Either way, this also ties into something I referenced all the way back in Stormfront uh, Part 2, I believe. Vosk and Archer have a very brief conversation. In that, Vosk, who has already had talked about genetic purity and improving the species, is speaking of using time travel to do it. Here, Soong is trying to use genetic engineering. Both are trying to do the same thing. Both are very different people. Vosk is a zealot and a megalomaniacal maniac. Yes, I know I'm being redundant. I don't care. (laughs) Because he, he just wants to have this whole purity, we are the gods kind of a thing. Sung is, well, a scientist. He seeks to improve and to move forward and to learn from the past, showing that he did actually take Phlox's comments to heart and is actually trying to improve things for the next generation. Next iteration, next iteration, next iteration. Get better each time. That's the goal. But we do also see how they've been laying bricks for this, and how it can be very easily seen that the person or people making these decisions can come into question. Is this something that should be decided by group consensus? Should it be up to the parents? If it is up to the parents, do they have to have special circumstances to allow for certain things? Can this only be done to remove certain ideas or concepts or uh, genetic tendencies? Is removing the same as changing in the same way that adding would be? And There's a whole, whole other layer of this that we could go into, which again, I'm not going to. But it is fascinating how they bring this up almost without bringing it up. I tend to eat that kind of concept more than when Star Trek tends to shove something into my face as hard and violently as it can. My personal preference. This, of course, leads to, you know, uh, Malik, who is, you know, continuing to be his Darth namesake. Uh, He persists in trying to outthink rather than outkill or outshoot. This is actually interesting in its own, right? Because obviously he, he doesn't want to kill. He is not a violent person. He does not want to hurt anyone that has never been his goal. He has been doing this to benefit mankind. What's interesting, though, is there's also another layer here, an elitist layer, but one that's kind of sympathetic sympathetic wrong word. It, it's one I kind of sympathize with. If you're good enough, you don't have to kill. This is a quote, I I heard it a long, long time ago. I've actually referenced this before. It was a family member that told me this. It was uh, one of the ideals of military action is that the truly perfect military action will have no no losses on either side. Because if you are that good, if everything goes that smoothly, you don't have to kill. Killing is what happens when something screws up, when there's a mix-up, or someone catches you, or you fail. And this is an ideal that I admit I've carried with me for most of my life. Hell, this even extends into my fiction. Uh, When I'm playing a stealth action game, for example, like Dishonored or Thief or whatever... I the, the goal is to ghost, which is actually the furthest extent. That's when nobody sees you, no, nobody ever text you, no, you leave it the exact same way it was. You know, it's as if you were never there. Hence the term. There's layers to that. You know, in some cases it's okay to knock someone out. In some cases it's okay to, you know, cl- op- leave a door open or whatever. You get the point. But I bring that up because under those circumstances, if you're good enough, you don't have to kill anyone. Because you're good enough to not do it. You have proven that level of, there's no other way to put this, superiority. And that kind of lines up with Sung's overall mentality, doesn't it? Being superior enough to not have to kill. Now, I use that word superiority not because I think I am, because obviously I don't, but because Soong clearly thinks that this should be how the Augments are. That they should be good enough to not require going to such barbaric acts. So, this leads to the Kevat colony. Remember that one for later. Malik is like, yeah, let's go ahead and start uh, mass murder millions of people and start an interstellar war, war in order to serve my own self-interest. And he's, he's just so casual about it. I love it. I love how casually, obliviously evil he is this whole episode. I mean, he's been this way this whole time, but damn. Soong is like, no, God, no. What is wrong with you? And Malik's like this is the only way to he's like or what are you talking about this is our only option why is this a problem what happened to you father you used to be okay with mass murdering no no he never was Malik interesting question and I actually am going to ask this question of you instead of putting it in the I should just stop doing those end cards I keep, I keep coming up with questions during the recording that I could have put in the end card here's my question for you do you think conwood Do you think Khan, Khan Noonien Singh, would be totally cool with mass-murdering people and starting an interstellar war so that he could get away for a bit? Weirdly enough, I don't think he would. I I hesitated there so you could answer. But it's my opinion that Khan wouldn't, for one of two reasons. One, because it's wasteful. He wants to rule, not to kill. He is far more of a Revan than a malik. Reason number two, Khan would find it to be... Frankly, somewhat beneath him, unless he was in a truly desperate state or completely out of his mind with revenge, which, you know, that was kind of the point of Wrath of Khan. So, <clears throat> we cut to Tucker, who has been avoiding to Paul. It's a good character zine. I don't actually have much to say, but these scenes are what I was missing in season three. I brought this up many times. I wish there had been moments, just singular scenes developing Hayes and Reed or Paul and Tarker or, uh, Archer and, uh, Digger, or whoever, you know, just developing the characters. This is the kind of thing I champion when it comes to television as a media form. Have a scene in the middle of an episode that barely has to do with the episode. It's all about developing a, long-term subplot and in this case voyager actually played with this as well if you're remembering with with tom paris and in many ways with seven as well in this case this is the Tipal and tucker subplot which is kind of developing in the background we see that tucker is avoiding her partially because he doesn't know how to deal with this but also because he is legitimately proud of her because he understands what she did was a sacrifice And we see how, once again, the connection between the two is deeper than simply you're hot or I like you because of the emotional connection the two have. Then we cut back to the episode. Like I said, just scenes like that. That's brilliant. Do more of that. Does New Trek do this? I actually don't know. I haven't seen it. One of these days I'll stop (laughs) saying that because it'll stop being true. But for the moment, I keep reminding people because every now and again, someone keeps asking me, hey. So Malik pushes for the mutiny. We don't get characterization for the augments really. We had some for uh Smike, I think is his name. Ubar was what I had written down. Cause that that's what his character is. Yeah, it's Smike, I'm right. We had a little bit for Smike and then he died. We have a bit for Persis, um and we have a bit for Malik, and that's kinda it. But we get characterization simply by virtue of what they are okay with. All of the other augments are totally cool with mass murder, interstellar war, and killing and torturing people. They are all, by the way, they are portrayed in the story just as bad as Malik. The only difference is he's the one who actually has the lines of dialogue. But they are still completely complicit, not just complicit, fully 100% accepting and embracing of his ideals. We are, in many ways... Patterned by who we follow, after all. So that sucks. And uh, we also, of course, see that she's not super cool with this. I like how Soong is mostly disappointed in them. Of course he is. Parent. Then we have a Klingon cruiser, which is catching them. Whatever. I've already made my complaints about how the Klingons are more technologically advanced than the Federate, excuse me, than EarthGov and uh, the Vulcans and how I feel that was a mistake. Whatever. It's okay though. Marek uh, secretly dallies with Orion women. I'm going to spoil something very, very minor here, but this is a spoiler for a future episode. Three, two, one. In the future, we find out the Orion Syndicate is run by the women. Marek has had regular dalliances with Orion women. That could imply a lot, one direction or the other. It is interesting to think about, and I wonder if this is the kind of thread that would ever be continued in the future in a theoretical season five. Because think about it. Either he's actually negotiating with the other heads of state, perfectly valid, or he doesn't realize they're the heads of state and the Klingon Empire is being manipulated by the Orion Syndicate, which is... Let's be honest, a little bit more likely. Either way. So, Soong is imprisoned by, you know, he gets away, gets picked up by Enterprise, and he's behind bars trying desperately to convince someone of the truth of what he's saying. You're just cursed, Soong. Often wrong, Soong, I think, I think is what the phrase is gonna be in a couple generations. Just freaking cursed. Can't get away from this, can he? Thankfully, and Spiner sells this quite well, at this point he drops almost all facades. There's just an earnest desperation to him in almost every scene from this point. There's even this really great, very minor character beat where he's talking with T'Pol and Tucker. And he tries his little poking, prodding thing that he was doing mostly in episode one. You know, the affable asshole thing I mentioned. They react weirdly to that, and so he's got the bit of a grin thing until things go different. And, and, it, and it just it just drops, and he goes right back to being serious mode. Because you can see how much this whole situation has had him completely in a twist. And understandably still, the the man is uh, seriously, seriously, seriously screwed up, and it shows. Worst of all, he knows it at this point. There's this bit where... He says, if I had been there for them instead of being locked away, maybe they would have turned out differently. Real question: Do you think they would have? This gets a lot into nurture versus nature. Archer insists they were built to be this way; they were designed to be this way by people who were actually killed by Augments. Now, we don't know a lot about the specifics of these specific uh, Augments designs, other than the fact that Soong was run rocking, working under Gun didn't really know what he was doing exactly yet, and honestly hatched them as hatched, birthed them kind of in a desperation maneuver, rather than having the time and effort to be able to process them and do a proper job of it. I bring that up because it's entirely possible that they were just copied off of the previous models, which means they might have been genetically engineered to be horrifically evil. Remember, Persis is the only one who kind of disagrees with that, and even that, it's just her connection to her father, not other people. So, all of them are bad. All of them are totally cool with murdering and killing and torturing. So it's possible Archer is right when he says that there was no other way this would go. But that depends on how you lean on the nurture versus nature argument. Because, wasn't that Trek in a nutshell? No, really. Of all of Trek, its kernel, its central core has always been, and will always be, since the very beginning of TOS, that humankind... Did better That we evolved beyond our nature And we became More than what we were Birthed to be There's a great speech that Kirk gives We're not going to become killers Today I wish I remembered it word for word It's actually one of my favorite Kirk speeches in all of Trek Just today Today we're going to decide Not to be killers And then the next day And then the next day That's core track right there. I find myself wondering if they could have been decent people. If they could have been normal, normal is the wrong word, not horrifically evil. If they could have found place in society. If they had actually had a loving and caring upbringing. If they had been taken care of instead of all of this nonsense. It does kind of shine a light onto why this whole illegality thing is a problem. As I've pointed out before. But Archer it does still have a point. There is still so much unknown about this and Sung's desperation in the matter to violate the law in order to prove his theories is what actually caused the situation. And this I've probably come across as extremely sympathetic to Sung. But it's worth noting I am not on his side because what he did was he desperately decided to try and prove that he was right by proving that he was wrong. He didn't do that on purpose, of course, but that is what happened. Rather than trying to take the time or work through the right channels or develop the technology or try and change the laws or anything else that could have been done and in the idealized future of Star Trek's Earth was actually possible. Here in real life, it's a lot more understandable to rally against the law because the law is a lot harder to change and, let's be honest, a lot less just in real life, no matter where you live. But in the idealized Earth even Enterprise's era's Earth, he could have championed this cause, pushed for this, and actually tried to do this properly. And we might not have had this incident. Instead, this incident almost guarantees that this is why, even as far-flung as DS9, this kind of genetic tampering is still illegal. Because the one time they tried it elsewise, this happened. Malik has a scene where he kills Paris, Persis. Small request. I, if I was restructuring this episode, I would make a very small change to it. And the biggest change I would make is I would have it so that Persis physically injures Malik in some way that is significant, that hobbles him, and they don't have a doctor, and they have limited time, so they don't have the ability to fix it, which means Malik is now permanently injured for the rest of the episode and thus makes it easier for Archer to get the jump on him later. Or something like that, right? Basically, she damages him in a way that ensures his defeat later, instead of just dying. Mostly, her death is a way of showing just how messed up Malik is, because he's just, again, this shows the sociopathy here, or sociopathy, or whatever that is, because he just doesn't care. Like I said back in, I think it was episode one, whichever one it was, where he straight up lies to her in order to try and ensure that he keeps getting to sleep with her. Here, it's like, huh, do you think I should torture him? No, it's you. I've already figured out it's you, but that's okay. Are you going to use your knife on me? Alright, that's cool, I guess. I guess I'll go ahead and just kill you now. I will miss you. And he kisses her. As she's laying there, dying, gasping for breath. What the frell? Pardon my Farscapean. farscapian, farscapian? Hmm. So. Archer and Soong both use unique solutions. That's a nice little symmetry, by the way. Soon had to do the thing where she was put in the thermal air safe for several hours so you can effect a rescue. A non-lethal solution. Archer manages to grapple the Klingon's uh, nacelle in order to damage it enough in order to ensure that they can't follow them. A non-lethal solution. Nice touch there. I'll bring that up in a minute, too. Then we find out that the Klingon bridge is protected. Yeah, that makes sense. You'd think most bridges would actually be separate extra armored or whatever but as we've seen enterprise bridges tend to not be let me talk to him earnest desperation in his voice then you know malik pulls his con reference and then blows up the bird of prey but then sneaks on board just to kill soon that scene doesn't need to be there it does serve one purpose the fact that sung is going back in quarters rather than the brig says a lot about how starfleet and archer now view the man if nothing else obviously the man has done very illegal things and has led to very horrible stuff he he needs to be in prison for a while at the very least until there's some kind of rehabilitation but as weird as this may sound this these episodes show that rehabilitation is something he is on a path towards And, as I pointed out earlier, it's entirely possible that simply locking away the problem wasn't the best solution. It is implied, although never stated outright, that Soon eventually gets released. This is further enforced by the fact that they've actually been saving his work. And, all the way up in Dr. Bashir, I presume, I I double-checked this just to verify, they mentioned that using genetic modifications in order to cure specific diseases and get rid of certain Problems, you know, defects, is something that is allowed as of the time of Deep Space Nine. And thus, we do see that Sung's work does eventually help to cause the medical benefits that everyone had spoken of for the past three episodes. We also see a tiny little bit of Klingon politics. As usual, it is what you do and how you react that matters to Klingons. Ugh, we got attacked by humans. Wait, wait, we'll deal with this. Okay. And so they deal with it, and the Klingon's are like, okay, good enough. Like That's very Klingon. I imagine they actually got some brownie points for how they dealt with the cruiser, to be completely honest with you. Naturally, uh, this leads to Oh, also the other implication of how Soon gets out. He has to have a kid at some point, so we can get down to off and wrong. And then we have to have the wink-wink at the camera about cybernetics. A little bit too overt there, but... I don't ding it that much, because it does make sense. Sung has been trying to improve things this whole time, and he has decided this whole incident has proven him wrong. So, like a good scientist, he takes the past, learns from it, and tries something different. I do hope, as always, you have enjoyed. I'll see you next time.